This episode is brought to you by Element Kombucha. Kombucha is an incredibly delicious drink with a ton of amazing health benefits, primarily gut health. It's got those good bacterias. Yes, some bacterias are good. Element's brewing process maintains the traditional methods and ingredients that people have been brewing kombucha with for thousands of years. Each flavor is brewed with strict parameters to bring out the benefits of the plants as well as the best flavors possible. And let me tell you, you can feel the difference. I highly recommend you give Element Kombucha a try. It's delicious, it's healthy, and it's just nice to have in your fridge for when you're thirsty. So go to elementkombucha.com and use promo code ZIAN11 to save 11%. That's ZIAN11 to save 11%. X-I-A-N 11 at elementkombucha.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL. I'm here with my friend Burks, aka Light Language. How's it going today, man? Good, brother. How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for taking the time to come on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, brother. I've been uh, honored to release a number of your tracks through our record label, Time Wheel. It's always a good vibe, and uh, I really appreciate the sounds you're bringing forth, man. 
yeah, man, I appreciate the support. I've been following Time Well for a while and just like always had my eye on you guys. And then when I reached out, you were so open and down to release. And it's just been a really awesome relationship so far. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I would love to get into, you know, the story of light language and how you decided to create these types of kind of like, what do we call it? Medicine base, shamanic base, you know, kind of like down tempo beats that are very, you know, evocative. They, they evoke imagery and, and feelings and sensations a lot like the plant medicine experiences, at least for me. Um, and yeah, I'm curious how, how you found yourself being, you know, a quote unquote sound shaman, you know, and, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, when did this all begin? When did you start in music and, and, uh, how did that evolve into the current project light language? So I've always been interested in music. It's always been a big part of my life. Um, but I've never been a musician at all. I tried to take guitar lessons when I was a kid and I just, I couldn't do it. I was in like musical theater and stuff, which I actually really enjoyed throughout like middle school and high school. Um, but it just never really stuck. I was, I actually was a graffiti artist from the time I was 13 years old. So I've been writing graffiti for something like 20 years, um, a little bit less in the last few years, but I was always a visual artist, so I was mm -hmm. focused on like, you know, trains and walls around the city. And then I got into doing murals and like I did a couple of gallery shows and that was kind of the main focus of like my artistic outlet for the longest time. Mm -hmm. um, but I always loved music and it was always a big part of my life. I just wasn't a creator of it. And so it was probably, I would say 2009 a friend of mine, Tasha Cruz, she, uh, she was in like the burner scene and all that, like back in the day when it was kind of when Burning Man was still really underground and not, you know, before social media, before everybody knew what it was. And mm -hmm. she took me to a, a warehouse party at a place called the Crooked Arrow. And this place was downtown Salt Lake City that, um, it was like a hippie commune and downstairs was a big warehouse and they would you know, build art cars and stuff like that. And nice. there was a local artist playing, his name was Illum. And uh, he's like the base god of Salt Lake City. And he was all, he was rinsing out like UK dub. You know, this was like right before the bro step movement happened. And like, it was all the Caspa, Banga, Rusko, mm -hmm. you know, like all those UK artists that were kind of bleeding over into the US, but it was still really underground. And they had this giant sub set up in this tiny little warehouse. Like it was probably the size of my studio here. Mm -hmm. um, like pitched roof people had like their the, all the hippies that were living there had all their beds in the side and like <laughs> it was just kind of seedy and sweaty and crazy just packed like 300 people in there and i think he had like four 18 inch subs or something like that it was ungodly and i just like feeling music like that for the first time feeling that bass weight in my body when those you know like uk dubstep is just all super sub focused and just right. you know, rattles your body so that was like my first exposure to I would say bass music outside of like, you know, I'd always been listening to like commercial hip hop and stuff like that before. Um, and when I was younger, listening to like grunge rock music and stuff like that, it was all commercial stuff. And so this mm -hmm. was my first exposure to any kind of like underground scene, bass music, anything like that. And it just hit me and I couldn't shake it. Like it was that. And um, it was when the glitch hop scene was first starting. Wow, okay. And I really loved that concept of just like the techy, glitchy, just that sound. It had that futuristic sound, but it still had that bass weight to it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so got into that, like grabbed Fruity Loops on like an old PC and just started screwing around. And that was probably my early 20s. So we're talking like 12, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, so I've probably been making music for 12 or 15 years, like just messing around the first couple of years. And then um, start doing some like underground bass nights at like local clubs and stuff. I've always been kind of in the scene with whatever I'm doing. Like if I get interested in something, I just dig in. Yeah. And so I got involved in some of the nightclubs and start doing some underground like basement shows and stuff. And then my connection with the one night club turned into like a, a promotion opportunity. So I was a club promoter for like commercial electro house for probably three or four years. Mm. So my focus like gradually shifted in that direction. And I was, I was making tons of like dirty electro house, just that crunchy, like bass driven electro house that was, you know, in the 2010s, like early 2010s. Yeah. Um, and I was opening for like Savoy. I opened for Wolfgang Gardner, um, Calvin Harris actually at a local venue. So Nice. I, I kept getting feedback from all these artists. Like the promoters would get upset because they said I was playing too hard and I was playing opening sets and I was playing like majority of my music was original or like remixes that I had made. And mm-hmm. I just got tired of being an opening DJ. I was like, this isn't my place. Like I'm playing original music and these, you know, Calvin Harris is complaining to the promoter that I'm like burning the crowd out early, mm-hmm. which I understand. I understand that, you know, being, being an artist, like a touring artist. Now I get that. I get the, the warm-up DJ needs to be the warm-up DJ and not the main <laughs> event. But I kind of felt like I needed to transition away from that and focus on my own thing and try to build my own thing. And around that time I got super, super sick. Um, mm-hmm. I was about 28 years old. So like I should have been in my prime. And I was trying to bodybuild at the time, like going to the gym, lifting weights, eating good. And my health had always been pretty poor my whole life. Like I grew up obese and overweight and really unhealthy with asthma and things like that. Mm -hmm. But um, like everything kind of just shut down from 28 to 30. Like my digestion was off. My adrenals were fried. I had brain fog. My body hurt. Couldn't make any progress in the gym. Like the harder I dieted, the harder I lifted weights, the sicker I got. Mm. So I started seeing doctors, naturopaths, um, functional medicine doctors. Like I went to regular doctors, like Western medicine doctors. Nobody could tell me what was going on there. Like your bloods look fine. You're a healthy 28 year old dude. And I'm like, I feel like I'm dying. Mm. And they wouldn't listen. You know, I couldn't find anybody that would dig deeper and be like, okay, yeah, your, your vitals look good, but why, why don't you feel good? And, um, so I turned to plant medicine around my 30th birthday. It was actually, I sat with plant medicine on my 30th birthday, actually. That was my oh, first wow. time. Like I had, you know, played around with mushrooms and like recreational stuff, but I didn't really, I didn't even drink until I was like 24. I've never smoked. I like never done any drugs outside of plants. Um, yeah. So it was pretty out there for me to, to go into that realm and try to heal with these medicines. And um Long story short, and I covered a lot of it in the other podcast that I just did. So if people want to check that out, they can get like the longer winded mm-hmm. story. But like long story short, I ended up sitting with this group, um, and I was just getting I was getting sicker. Like the the medicine was actually making things worse for me. Every time I would sit, I would have less energy. I would feel worse. I wouldn't integrate well. Um, mm-hmm. The people I was sitting with were super out of integrity in the way they were holding the space, and it was a lot of like you know, I would say to simplify it, like give us your money, we'll give you your drugs and your entertainment. And then, you know, you go on about your way. There was no like continued care. 
Um, it wasn't really, it wasn't what it is now, you know, with mm-hmm. a lot of people and what I'm involved in now, where it's very integrative and we care for people. And, um, but the thing that really stuck out to me that's that's pertinent to what we're talking about was the music. Like the the main guy leading the ceremonies is an incredibly, incredibly talented musician. And, mm. you know, when you're in those spaces and you're on the medicine, everything is just so intense and so amplified and so much more beautiful. Um, and I could just hear something in the music, uh, just this like tribal primal sound and also this really deep intentional spiritual you know with everything that it's rooted in with like the shipibo songs and ikaros and all these different things it was like i could feel something behind it it wasn't just music yeah and i think that was the first time i really experienced music that way where it was Mm. like wow like i can use this to heal i can use this to like tap into something beyond me and beyond just entertainment and so Shortly after that, I moved to Hawaii uh, and was still healing and started going to some sound journeys that a friend of mine, Sarah, was hosting. She wasn't my friend at the time. I just saw a flyer for her thing, and I was like, I'm going to check this out. Like, I'm trying to heal on all levels, so yeah. let's see what this sound healing thing can do. It seems kind of foo-foo, but, you know, <laughs> we'll go check it out. And uh, it changed my life. Like, I was – I've, I've – started healing i started seeing like symptoms resolved and i started like finding my center and it was so meditative and beautiful and the things she was doing with the gong and the bowls are just the visions i was having like i was i was having stronger visions or hallucinations or whatever you want to call it like i was going to deeper places with the sound sober than i ever did in the medicine space wow And so this whole time I'm still producing music, right? Like I'm not releasing anything. I'm not playing shows. I hadn't DJed in years, Mm -hmm. Um, but the passion was still there. And I was still just like every once in a while, sit down in Ableton and just throw something together. And uh, so I started collaborating with her and she invited me to do like an art night where people were creating art to her sound healing and my music. And it was the first DJ set I'd played in like, four years and so you know i had three songs finished um with this new project and i didn't even have a name for it yet and so i threw that together with like some other stuff that sounded similar like liquid bloom desert dwellers parangi samataya like some bass music crossover stuff it just like lit a fire under me and i was doing private sessions with her like private healing sessions she was doing reiki and crystal work and sound stuff and she started like speaking in tongues during this one session <laughs> and i was like okay this is kind of weird because I'm, I'm a pretty grounded dude like mm-hmm. my music is pretty out there now and my vibe is pretty deep but like i've always been pretty grounded i've always been really spiritual like head in the clouds but i very rooted like feet on the ground if it's not applicable to like living a better life and being a better person like i'm not about it i'm not just here for like the foo-foo spiritual stuff so i'm always like pretty healthy skepticism when it comes to these things um yeah i I just asked her i was like sarah what is like what's with the the mumbling and the speaking in tongues like what's going on here and she's like oh it's called light language Mm -hmm. it's like intuitive speech that comes from you know it's like channeled yeah i was like okay i can get with it that's interesting like i'm not sure you know what's going on here but like cool and then she started doing more and like we would have more sessions and i i was seeing more results and healing and i was like okay there's something to this and 
So yeah. I actually started recording her. Um, like I would just set my phone down under the table. I'd be on the massage table getting the treatment and I just record everything she was doing. And the first EP that I released, I released uh, three EPs like four years ago. Mm-hmm. They have a bunch of features with her on it. And a lot of that audio is actually from my own personal healing sessions wow. that I actually pulled that phone recording out. And there was from a technical level, it was terrible to work with. Like, <laughs> I actually want to go back and remaster all those tracks because you know it's been a few <laughs> years and my like technical knowledge has really improved. But um, that's really special to have that out there because it's like a journal, you know, it's like a personal journal of my own healing process. Right. And so when she told me about this light language thing, I was like, I like, I like the ring of that, like I like the sound of that that phrase, that wording. I was like that'll be the working title for this project. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know where it's going. I don't know what's going to happen. And it's kind of stuck, you know, and it's now like light language is a thing. Like people know about it pretty regularly. It's on social media all the time. And yeah. I see a lot of people talking crap on it and like making fun of people who do it. And then there's a lot of other artists that are actually using it in their music or, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of YouTube channels of people doing visual things with their hands. And right. it's, it's a thing now, like it's a modality. And so it's really cool to have like started it there and seen how it's grown. Dude, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. There's so much there. Um, yeah, I've been ex- exposed to light language through some YouTubers. I actually had, uh, one of, one of, uh, my favorite kind of vloggers on the show some time ago, her name is sky Cohen's and she has this, uh, YouTube channel called sky life. Have you ever seen mm. her work? Uh, uh-uh. Okay, well, she has a couple of specials on light language, so I had heard of it. Um, I have not experienced it myself, although, you know, in certain mystical states, I I think certain people get, uh, have, maybe are drawn towards uh, a certain sense more than others. Um, you know, sometimes it's the, it's, you know, visual, sometimes it's auditory, sometimes it's like physical, sometimes it is speech um, for myself, it's definitely been very, like, I get a lot of auditory sensations working with medicines, but also spontaneous posture, like Kriyas. So like yoga poses and like interesting, like hand, like I'll just kind of like have gone into a trance, you know, in a plant medicine state. And then I'll open my eyes some minutes later and I'll have been doing some hand gesture i can't even like mimic like right some now kind of mudra or something yeah, yeah a mudra will come through like it'll be something i've never done before in my life uh but i'll have been holding it almost unbeknownst to myself until i wake up and or like come to out of this like kind of visual trance state i was in and it's like oh wow what is my hands doing here you know so mm-hmm. I, I get that you know that that trance can kind of uh take us into you know different places just depending on which kind of sense or yeah, sensory organ that were it's it's activating so anyway i had been exposed to light language thought it was very interesting haven't experienced it myself but when you know i found your music um or you reached out or you know however we connected uh through email or yeah i think it was through email i was like okay i know what light language is let's give this a go and you know i was uh i was absolutely uh super into the tones and the frequencies and the sounds and the rhythms that you're bringing forth through yeah the the music and uh is that something that you 
feel like was a gradual kind of um, like from the beginning of light language, did it have this really like earthy, foresty sense? Or do you think that that's something that was coming like more recently into the, like the time wheel releases and that type of thing? I think that's developed over time. Um, like I had such a background in commercial music and commercial dubstep. I mean, I've got, I've got albums of like dirty electro house, like bro step, um, future base. I was making a ton of future base for a while there. Nice. And like, so the begin when I first started, it had a lot of that, like it had a lot of the synthetic, um, mm -hmm. computery, like electronic sounds to it. If you go back and listen to those EPs, like there's a lot of that, there's a lot of like crunchy bass that so kind of has that bro step vibe to it. And it, at first it was really about making this like dynamic music that wasn't necessarily loud, but had like impact and you really felt it in your body. Like those three EPs I actually produced on my headphones with a sub pack in my kitchen in Kauai. <laughs> um, like my, my desk, my setup was in the kitchen overlooking this valley behind my house. And like <laughs> at the time I was so sick and that was, those three EPs are also a journal of like me healing. Like I had days where I couldn't function. I couldn't mm. work. I couldn't do much. I couldn't work out. Like, and I would sit there and just put the headphones on and put the sub pack on and lose myself in these like spaces. Like those, those three albums, I still, it's my favorite to listen to those songs on headphones because mm. they're so atmospheric and they're so like, they're places I would go to, to heal, you know, and they're really like solidified in the music. So when it first started, it was very commercial, very, Mm -hmm. synthetic and over time it's evolved to the point where i almost want my tracks now to sound like they were recorded with live instrumentation right and everything is recorded in it, it is digital like i don't play really any instruments i play the dig a little bit some hand drum but like mm -hmm. i don't play instruments so everything is sample based mm -hmm. so it's either synthetic or it's been recorded um and i really love to play with merging that like dynamic sound of electronic music and yeah. that organic sound of like world music yeah 100%. i've got a couple like new tracks and albums that i've written i have so much music written like my focus <laughs> for the next couple months is just to dive in and get some stuff released but right. the stuff i'm making now is very very organic like i mm -hmm. i've really been influenced by the world music scene guys like ape yeah. chimba and aware and all these different like mm -hmm. you know they're playing Southeast Asia and Ibiza and Spain and Tulum, like that scene is so big. And I, I dated a girl last year who was deeply involved in that scene and she really opened me up to that and really pushed me to like make my sound more organic. And mm -hmm. I'm super grateful for that because I, I think it's translating really well on the dance floor. Yeah. Well, what exactly? Yeah. What do you think it is that's pushing this type of music? to be so popular now because I, again, it was very similar to like the burning man crowd, you know, um, kind of very underground, not super well known, but I'm finding like a lot of the most popular artists coming up now are including this type of sound. And, and, uh, I feel like there's been like a surge, especially in places like Austin, which is where I frequent music events 
in this type, you know, in the market for this type of sound, as funny as that sounds to say. But um, yeah, so many more artists that bring this organic vibe, um, shamanic, you know, uh, just like very, yeah, the, using organic instrumentations with, with some, uh, a little bit of electronic as the backbone has, this has just begun to like surge in popularity. It's almost like it's helping us as a collective and as a community heal and return back to our roots is what I would kind of think. But as far as yourself, you've been very immersed in these communities through your touring and through your traveling, uh, much more so than I. But what would you say is the kind of driving force behind why this particular sound is drawing so much attention and so much community around it right now? I think that... Um I think a lot of us on the artist side of things were into more commercial music and stuff. And then we've all, you know, consciousness is evolving so rapidly and there are so many things happening nowadays. Like you've got ecstatic dance, you've got cacao circles, you've got plant medicine, burning man is still a thing. You know, there's, there's, I could just go on and on. We know we, we see it like, yeah, there's so many different modalities, so many different opportunities to heal and grow and evolve and deepen into our spiritual side of ourselves, emerging now. And that's just part of the collective consciousness. It's become, it's become popular, honestly. And that's, that's been interesting to navigate because it gets very watered down and very, um, uh, that's a whole other conversation. But like, I think that as that has grown, Mm-hmm. we've grown as artists and we've had our, we've done our own work, whether it is meditation or plant medicine or retreats or cacao circles or whatever. And so we, I think as artists are yearning for something deeper. I think we've done this like commercial dance entertainment thing for so long as a collective in the Western world. And it's so distorted from what music originally was in more of a tribal primal context. You know, that's, when people ask me what genre of music I make, I, I tell them I make shamanic bass, which I was very on the fence about that when I first started producing because like the term shaman and shamanism gets thrown around way too much. And it's mm. it's a deeply rooted practice and it, it has very many cultural ties and it can be cultural appropriation in certain contexts if it's if it's misused Mm -hmm. so there's a certain level of respect that's required with that term and that word um but that was the closest thing i could find to like label my music as because that's what i'm doing is pairing esoteric magic shamanism these practices with the bass music and so that's what i started calling it and then as it's evolved you know some of my more like four four like up tempo slow house whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm it has more of a primal vibe. Like it gets people back into their animal selves. I, I see people, you know, when I do these events, I have a central altar with a flame in it and people dance around that instead yeah. of praying to the DJ God on stage. Like mm-hmm. we bring it back to where music started around the fire with the drum and the instruments, you know? And so I see people get back into that primal state where they're they're stomping their feet and they're clapping their hands. And sometimes they're screaming and like just letting their body move them they're not trying to move their body like they would if they went out to a nightclub you know trying to find the beat and grind with the girl or whatever like Mm -hmm. they're just getting back into that animal part of themselves and um so that i've started calling my music shamanic bass or primal bass 
mm, which is yeah. a term I haven't heard. I had heard shamanic base, shamanic house, these things thrown around, but I haven't heard like the primal part of it thrown around. And so yeah. I really like that because I think that's where to answer your question, all of this is coming from. It's like we have, especially in the West, right? In in East, like in other places, there's there's still such a tie to like our primal nature and to our tribal nature and to the to what we were as indigenous groups of people. And in the West, we we've never had that really. Like mm-hmm. everything here is based on like stripping that away from people, right? Like we that was deeply ingrained in these lands, especially in the US, and like it was ripped away and tucked away and mm-hmm. you know, like demonized almost. And so I think if you spend time with indigenous people or researching how indigenous people do things, it's like they knew that they knew that we had a connection to the earth and to this right. deeper part of ourselves, this, to, to spirit, to our primal selves, to the earth. And I think on a subconscious level, there are so many of us in the West that are yearning for that. We can feel that in our being. It's part of our being. Hmm. We know something's missing, but we don't quite know what. And so I think is this, sound has started to evolve and i think that is coming from spirit that's coming from something greater than us it's coming through the artists through the channels right those who know how to listen which is all i do when i get in here in the studio like fire up a bowl of mapacho i drop in deep and you know i commune with the tobacco and i use that as a a tool to open my channel and i don't one big part of my creative process over the last couple years has been I'm not making music. Like the music is being made through me. Mm-hmm. And I'll have moments where I'm like, I want it to go this way. And then it goes that way. And I'm just like, okay, like this is what spirit wants. This is what, whatever is driving this thing that you're referring to, this growth of this collective idea is working through me. And the more I get out of the way and let that transpire and let go, and it's like, that's why I named it Light Language and not Burks's music project or Burks the <laughs> DJ. You know, like it's all about collaboration. It's all about being a channel. It's not. It's not me making anything. And so I think that is coming through the artist. That's coming through the channels. It it wants to be reborn. It's the same reason why plant medicine has come to the Western world to remind us of what we forgot and what was taken away from us. Honestly, absolutely. Yeah, well said. I love that. And I've certainly had those realizations um, working with plant medicines that nature is sacred. It is, you know, we as humans often think this world is ours. Like we run this world and what the psychedelics and, and plant medicines have shown me is we're like just a very small like blink of an eye of the experience of what nature is and how long it's been here. I mean, you know, they say, I think hundreds of millions of years, you know, humans have been around, I don't know exactly how long, but in comparison to how long what nature is has existed, it is the blink of an eye and therefore this is not ours. This is nature's. We're lucky and privileged to be here, to have this experience, to, it really is 
and I'm, it's an incredible blessing to be alive. And that I think is the medicine that these plants offer because um, so many of us, myself included, um, when we're not connected to that sense of intense gratitude for what it is to be here on the planet, we can very much take this experience for granted. Um, complain about it, you know, nothing's good enough, right? It's like, why am why am I X Y Z thing? not good enough uh comparing ourselves to others and we can get down in the dumps and it's crazy because yeah like these medicine experiences have shown me it's just like so magical just to be here at all like there isn't i you know there is things to strive for i'm not not trying to say don't have projects and don't try to you know like go like better yourself and 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 follow through with goals. I think those are all great things, but it was just showing me like just this next moment of breathing, just this next moment of being is something to be so grateful for. And I just, I think staying in touch with that is the message of the plants. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah. I think that, um, there's this divide, right? Like, we're like, we're like humanity and nature. <laughs> and when I see that, I just kind of laugh because it's like humanity is nature. We are nature. It's not right. like we're, there is no separation. We are walking, talking Wi-Fi pieces of nature, you know? And that's, that's what's beautiful about it is like, we're not like the trees. We're not like the rocks. Like we can get up and move around and interact with the rest of nature. It's such a beautiful blessing. And I think it's important for people to remember that, to come back into like, you are nature. You're made up of these minerals and mm -hmm. these plants and these animals and whatever you consume, the water, the air, you know, the, the daily practice I have, the daily prayer is the same every day. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the same way that I open my sets. So we, we call, we essentially call in the directions, but they're all, it gets kind of convoluted. Maybe we can get into it later, but like the, the understanding of reality that I have is not that we're like on this big ball of rock in space floating around a heliocentric sun. And like, mm -hmm. it's more of a, a dream that we're having, right? It's a, it's a collective dream as well as an individual dream. And so we're constantly creating from ourselves in a toroidal field. There's constantly energy pouring out of us. And science has studied this, the toroidal field of the heart, the way the heartbeat works. It's, a, it's like a big donut, mm -hmm. right? It's the same as the, the poles of the earth, how energy flows. We all know about that. We all learned about that in grade school. Like that, that is from the macro to the micro. And so the prayer that I use and what I open my sets with is, is, calling in the energy of each one of those directions so it's the or those energies because i don't necessarily work with directions i work more with internal energy so it's like mm -hmm. we invoke the water and the feminine mm -hmm. and the rose then we evoke the cedar and the fire and the, the masculine and then we invoke the air and the sage and the gnostic or the spiritual consciousness mm -hmm. and then we invoke the earth and the tobacco and the mastery within the sovereign self. And we work with all these different pieces and it's like each one of those pieces, the water, the air, the earth, and the fire are all the elements that we're made up of. We have those within ourselves, right? Water in your blood, mm 
mm-hmm. fire in your passion and your heartbeat, mm-hmm. air in your lungs, earth in your skin and your bones, the minerals, like we are the earth. And yeah. so it's so important for us to remember that and come back to that consciousness and that awareness. And it's not just about saving the earth and protecting the earth as if we're this external thing. You know, there's all this this movement around like global warming and all these different things. Well, we got to protect the earth. Like we need to protect ourselves. We are the earth, you know, like we need to nourish ourselves as we nourish Gaia or Mother Earth or whatever you want to refer to this realm as. Mm-hmm. Like we nourish ourselves and it's all one big consciousness it's all one big being you know she's not separate from us the earth isn't separate from us we are the being that is experiencing itself in this realm and in this understanding in this dream that we're having collectively yeah wow that's so profound yeah would you say before your experiences with plant medicines and you know these ceremonies that you went through that were kind of helping you through the healing process that you had a connection to spirit and the divine or aka god you know 100 percent. yeah i've always been super tapped in since i was a little kid like my mom mm-hmm. tells stories about how i would point up the stairs when i, I couldn't even really talk um as a child, like a baby, essentially, uh, I'd point up the stairs and she'd say, what do you see up there? I'd say, grandpa, grandpa. And like my great grandpa had just passed away. I've always been really tapped in really where I've always felt things before they happen, had prophetic dreams about things. Um, It's just kind of always been my way. And I've always been really interested in psychology too. And like shamanism and magic i mean i remember checking out like books on witchcraft from the public (laughs) library when i was like 13 years old wow and studying like this esoteric stuff and secret societies have always been really interesting to me and Mm -hmm. like what's really going on behind the scenes in the entertainment industry and politics and all these things so I've always been like really tapped into it. Like this isn't a show that I put on. This isn't a, a mask that I wear. This is me finally like expressing what's always been inside of me and not being afraid to be seen in it and be the weirdo with the the owl wing and the <laughs> <laughs> bowl of mapacho and all these different things, you know? It's like yeah. it's definitely like the full expression of my soul. And that's also why I get really triggered when it gets really watered down and especially when it gets commodified and commercialized it really it really bothers me because it's like i've been living this life my whole life and then i Mm -hmm. see people who haven't been involved in it and get sit in one plant medicine ceremony and they're a guru or they're a shaman or they're this or they're that and it's like oh (laughs) it's just (laughs) so upsetting to me in some ways because i feel like i've lived it and you know part of living that is going through the shamanic death process over and over and over again. Like my life has not been easy. Mm-hmm. I've been sick. I've dealt with mental health issues. I've like, it's, it's been a rough road. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's kind of always been my way and I, I want to carry it in a good way and I want to share it with people. I'm so grateful for opportunities like this where I can share what I know because I don't feel like I translate very well on like social media and these platforms that are geared more towards just like superficial expressions of things. So I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to share what I know and what I have lived. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm no authority by any means, but I definitely have some experience. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really relate to that. And that's why I love the podcast as well. I, I find that so 
cathartic and so commune communal to have like longer, just real, you know, no filter conversations with like minds, you know, because yeah, previous to podcasts as an art form. Yeah. It felt like there was just very limited amount of that amount of like these in depth conversations. Um, it was always kind of like five, 10 minute phone call, you know, like bare minimal. Maybe if you get together, you know, like in person, it goes a little deeper. But when you actually set a container to like, let's connect deeply for an hour, hour and a half. Um, yeah, it's it's so rewarding, you know, for myself and, and even, you know, for the guests. And, and then we're doing this transmutation process and sharing things that have been on our minds. And then hopefully people that are uh, like-minded or where we were at the beginning of this path can hear and, um, you know, learn from that and not feel alone in, in this kind of awakening process because it can be very alienating, uh, yeah. you know, from your closest friends to your family, to your partners that don't understand the types of things that come with awakening and the falling away of illusion. Um, it's, it's, yeah, the, there's a lot of challenge that comes with it. It's not just sunshine and rainbows and butterflies and love and light. You know, it's that there is darkness we have to deal with. There is, um, a lot of things we have to confront about ourselves, about the collective shadow, you know, and sometimes with the things that we're, we, we, privy to understanding aren't so pretty i mean you mentioned it earlier like secret societies and this like cabal mm -hmm. that runs the world you know i went through this phase of the illuminati as well after i watched um what is the film zeitgeist so yeah. many so many i was probably like 12 13 years old as well and i got super into that and i i definitely had this sense of uh disenchantment with society and a job and you know, where it was all leading me to and wanted to stand in the face of that and, and do something like create art, create music, create a platform to share authentic expression, you know, which is where, you know, time will and myself as an artist and this podcast, and all this stuff's emanating from. Um, so yeah, I, I relate to that. Um, but I wanted to ask too, if you have any theories on what it is that draws us as kids you know, it's almost, you know, if I had to speculate, it's almost like some past life residue or there's been like this idea of the da the daemon, um, which is this kind of like spirit angel or sp guardian angel, I mean, that, that kind of like knows what you're meant to be and it kind of gives you these intuitions and helps you find your truest path. But as far as like yourself, have you thought about how and why, you know, you've been so drawn to this particular path since being a kid and, and how it's manifested to this, you know, career you found yourself in? Um, you know, it's, it's so interesting for me to speak to some of these things because I have such a unique different understanding of what reality is um mm -hmm. that i don't relate to a lot of the those concepts you mentioned past lives and things like that mm -hmm. the same as a lot of people do my stories are a little bit different it's mm -hmm. not right or wrong it's just different yeah. um and i think like the stories you know i have a i have a six month mentorship container where i, I drop people deeply into themselves through the use of esoteric practice and 
shamanic technology and psychology and all these different things. And mm-hmm. one of the main things I teach is like, we become the stories we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it's like, your subjective truth is is the truth, you know? Like whatever you believe, if you believe you have past life residue or you believe you have a, a daemon that's leading you to something or a higher calling or whatever, like that is true. And that can change throughout your life, right? Um, so what I try to work with is like seeking the objective truth, mm-hmm. right? Not the subjective truth. So like there is on some level, some subjective truth that we're not aware of that is pervasive throughout all of consciousness. Yeah. Um, so for me personally, like I just feel like I am, if I am anything, if I could put a title on it or put it in a box, which is difficult for me sometimes, <laughs> um, because I'm kind of just present. I'm kind of just in the moment, just being. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that Wayne Dyer was one of my favorite teachers, um, and he used to he used to say, "You're a human being, not a human doing. Remember that." You know, there's nothing you're supposed to be doing. You just be. Yeah. So I, I don't have too many stories. I've done a really thorough job of trying to release my stories so mm. that I'm, you know, the only ones, the only stories I have are the stories that I retell every day in my daily practice um, because they feed me, they nourish me. So mm. I don't have too much of a belief around why I ended up here. Um, that's interesting. I actually want to sit with that a little bit longer like in my own time, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, well, I wonder, I wonder for myself because as a kid, I don't know why, but like I would like be in a gas station and they would have like a UFOs caught on tape yeah. v- VHS. And I would just be so drawn to that out of anything. And so many people as kids probably walk right by it. UFO, whatever, you know, I don't care. Like, why did I have as, like, I'm going to say a five to eight-year-old kid this intense uh, magnetized, you know, I was magnetized to otherworldly beings. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I have to have this to the point I'm, like, begging my parents, please, this is all I want. I need to know what these aliens are. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I've wondered that for years and years. Why was I so drawn to that? And then, of course, as we get into these medicine spaces, it's almost as if you're you're coming into contact with these things. And of course, in these peak experiences, it it feels realer than real. It feels hyper real. It almost feels Mm -hmm. like the reason you're here. It's like coming back home to something that you've always known. Yeah, that. So I always, you know, I like to to speculate with other like minds about like what is it that draws us to this this very intense desire to understand a thing. Like for you, it's like it seems like the esoteric, you know, the Yeah, um, I think that's a word you've said a number of times. I think I would probably bring it back to what I said about our connection to nature and coming back into our primal rhythms and things like that. It's like, mm-hmm. I think that there is, there's a knowing that we have, like there's a way that we're built, our biology, our soul, our spirit. Mm-hmm. It, 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 there's a truth to it, that, that objective truth of what reality is, right? That's why these plant medicine spaces often feel hyper real because they're, they're shedding all of the stories and all the illusions and they're peeling back the, the layers of Maya illusion, 
right? Yeah. And I think there are those of us, especially in the West, again, like we, whether it's a past life imprint or our biology or collective consciousness, whatever it is, like we know, just like, I mean, again, bringing it back to the indigenous, these indigenous peoples have practices for these things. They know these realms. The Toltec call it the Tonal and the Nahual, right? It's they, they know both realms and the veil that separates the two realms. And they, they learn about it from when they're very young. Mm-hmm. But for us in the West, like we're born into this kind of stripped down, bleached out, meaningless, material existence. Mm-hmm. And our soul is like, Somne right here. Like, <laughs> so I think when we see those little pings of like aliens or esoteric stuff, or like for me, it was even like horror movies and stuff when I was younger. You know, I watched a lot of horror movies. I was a juggalo for years. I followed Insane Clown Posse for like 10 years. And I, mm-hmm. that's what I loved about those guys is they were, it was all this esoteric magic spiritual stuff. And mm-hmm. if you didn't follow them, you didn't know. They just looked like two idiots. But like, if you followed them, you were listening to the deeper story. And so I was always drawn to, especially the more darker stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like our soul's yearning to come back into a full understanding of reality mm-hmm. and what's what all of this is, because ultimately allows us to lead better lives, right? The more in harmony we are with that objective truth of what nature is, what spirit is, what aliens are, what plants are, like the more we can live in harmony with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. I love that. <clears throat> as far as um, the process of healing, and you know, you said you're dealing with just kind of days that are just kind of blah, you know, not feeling great. What did you find? You know, I know you said you worked with plant medicines, but that's that's kind of. Uh, just one tool, I'm sure. But what did you find like the most helpful way to sustain like a, a, the healing path? Because, you know, many of us can heal for a long time and then we could fall back into our old ways and then we can heal again and we can kind of fall back. And I've heard that story a number of times I've experienced that as well. Um, but yeah, it seems like for yourself, it's been very much, you know, not to say that you, you, you might not, you know, experience that a little bit yourself, but as far as, you know, what I understand, you found something that's working for you. And I'm curious what you could recommend to people that maybe would want to get out of any type of stuckness, you know, and, and yeah. find like a, a routine or, uh, some building blocks to to draw from to continue on the healing path and, and maybe uh, get out the other side of it, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a couple things there. One thing I think is healing is never linear, right? And that's, you hear that tossed around a lot and I've definitely experienced that. I mean, nothing really, no progress is ever linear in this mm-hmm. realm. Um, so it's important, I think, to like, first of all, have compassion for yourself and whatever you're working with, whatever your stuckness is, whatever your healing journey is, is like, realize you're going to take steps forward and then you're going to step backwards. And like, 
even me personally, I'm so much healthier than I was 10 years ago. I'm thriving, I would say at this point. But even just the last couple of weeks, I changed some things in my supplementation, in my sleep patterns, like, and I, uh, I messed up. Like I took a few steps backwards and it's taken me a few weeks to get everything dialed back in and find my baseline. And I think knowing that that process is never linear, it's almost mm. always this like fractal hills and valleys kind of situation gives you a little more patience along the way because when you have those backstep moments you're like okay this is part of the process right and then again this can be comp uh, applied to any progress with anything whether it's like changing your physique in the gym or losing weight or improving your health or like advancing your career or your finances like it's always going to be two steps forward and probably one step back but as long as you're still that one step forward you're still making progress and so mm. It's always reminding yourself, like, I'm better than I was before. I may have gone backwards a little bit. That may have been my fault, or that may have just been circumstance, right? But, like, mm -hmm. having patience and compassion for yourself. And then the second piece, I would say, is really, it's a, it's a terrible way to look at it. Um, <laughs> the, the, the partner I have that I do, um, I help facilitate ceremonies with, he shares this a lot in integration, and it's, don't drink the purge bucket, mm. which is like, I'm sure your audience for the most part, people who listen to this are gonna be familiar with that, but usually when we're working with grandmother, when we're working with some of these different plant medicines, there's a purging process, so we throw up. Mm -hmm. And um, he, he's literally seen that happen, where people have physically purged and then tried to drink their purge. Mm. And I, I love that allegory of that and that example, it's disgusting, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> it, it's such like, again, with whatever you're healing, whatever you're working with, like you're doing these things, you come to a ceremony, you take this crazy psychedelic medicine that could be life threatening, you know, like it's, it has complications at times, like there are risks to doing it. Sure. You put yourself, you're up all night, you're like digging through your subconscious stuff, like you're doing all this work to progress usually out of something and into something else. And then if you leave that space, and that can be applied to just our own progress, it doesn't have to be the ceremony space, right? It translates. Mm -hmm. You leave that space and then you drink the purge bucket again. It's like, why did you do all that work to get it out if you're just going to intentionally take it back in? Mm. And so I think that's a really good thing for people to remember is like, yes, it's going to be two steps forward, one step backward, but, but don't be the reason for the step backward, yeah. right? Let it yeah. be the circumstance. Let it be that something changed or shifted outside of your control. But be in integrity with yourself and have that impeccable sense of alignment with yourself and your intention to not drink the purge bucket. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's really profound. That's really profound. I love that. Um, and I think that's like a little bit of a lesson that can stick. You know, it's very simple to think, especially in this space. Uh, in this medicine space where people, you know, are familiar with the purge and the bucket. Um, and I've never heard that, you know, that's the first time I've heard that. And I've been around for a the while. The first time <laughs> he shared it, I was just like, oh man, no, I don't want to visualize this right now. But then when I sat with it, I was like, damn, that is profound. Yes. Yeah. 1000%. Mm -hmm. So you've worked with a number of, of these medicines. What do you find that, you know, what has been maybe one of the most profound medicines that you've worked with? Um, 
two. The one would be Wachuma, mm -hmm. San Pedro. Um, I came to that medicine because I was having horrible experiences with grandmother. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, I use these terms because I just try to be careful about how we share these things in these spaces. Sure. Um, but I think your listeners know what I'm referring to. Right. And um, so I was having experiences there and I was just not, it, it was bad. It was really bad. And I think a lot of it had to do with the container that I was in and the people who were holding the ceremony. But my physiology just also doesn't work with that medicine. Mm -hmm. um, anything that works on serotonin pathways in my body isn't very mm -hmm. copacetic. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work too well. Um, the fungi, they work pretty good, but like anything that's really strong supplement wise or like grandmother, it just kind of puts me into a weird space. Mm -hmm. So I had asked the facilitator if I could work with grandfather and uh, had a positive experience with that and then moved to Oahu. And I was actually just, just for kicks, like seeing if I could find any place where wild mushrooms grew. And I found a couple places because I'd heard that they grew on Maui, but I didn't know about Oahu. Found a couple places, but it was super sketch. It was like private land. And so I kind of gave up on that quest. And in the process of like researching online, I came across a guy who was on the island who was selling um, Wachuma powder and plants and stuff. And I emailed him and he's like, dude, where did you even find my website? Like, I didn't even know that thing was still up. How did you get this email? <laughs> He's like, I'm a paralegal now. I make like six figures a year. Those cactus are all sitting in front of my house. Like, come get whatever you want. <laughs> and so I went down there and picked up three or four plants, kicked them like 50 bucks. And I've been raising those plants for almost 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And um, working with them has taught me so much. And being that it's the grandfather medicine, it just has more of this like masculine, straightforward energy than the grandmother medicine does. Mm -hmm. um, it really helps just like smooth the road bumps of life out and give you like direct answers to your questions. And then growing them, honestly, like I don't even consume them in what you would consider a psychedelic dose. It's very hard to like um, consume that medicine. You have to take a lot of it. You can mm -hmm. get there, but. Um, I call it like the middle of the road, right? If microdosing is like the trailhead, middle of the road is like definitely perceptible, but not like tripping balls and yeah. then, you know, full, full journey. Um, but growing them has taught me a lot, like sitting, learning to sit with things like plants, like what we consider inanimate objects and speak to them and listen to them and like watch the way they grow, watch the way they respond when you give them too much food or too much sunlight or not enough food or not enough sunlight. Like that medicine has just been insanely profound um, mm -hmm. for me. And the other is mapacho tobacco. I, there is no, there is nothing else like it. And that is, mm -hmm. you know, that's that, that belief goes throughout all indigenous cultures all over the world. It's the one plant medicine that every indigenous culture on every continent has worked with. Mm -hmm. And it's be it's the master medicine. Like it tobacco teaches us sovereignty. Tobacco mm -hmm. teaches us power. It teaches us freedom. It teaches us again to come back to where we were earlier in the conversation. It teaches us how to be the earth again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to ask a few clarifying questions on both of those medicines. Um, I have not participated in Wachuma, but it's drawing near. Um, there is something that that's currently offered um, that is it's drawing near. 
So it's going to happen. So I, I guess I am curious what to expect, you know? Um, and I know <laughs> nothing can really prepare you other, you know, you just have to have the experience, but as far as like how maybe this, how it, where does it take you? What type of maybe mental places do you find yourself in or sensations that you experience? Um, I definitely have a ton of experience with the fungi friends um, and uh, two two sits with grandmother. And yeah, I'm just curious, like, how, how would you describe the effects um, of the grandfather? Um. So Donnie covered this a little bit, Savage, in your uh, podcast with him. I watched that earlier this week. It was actually cool to see that he's doing stuff with that medicine down there in the swamp. I didn't realize that. I, well, I want to reach out to him and connect on that because it's just such a deep medicine for me. Uh, but he talks a little bit about that. Uh, chemically, it's a philanthamine. So it's more akin to something like MDMA. Um it's more of a stimulant than a psychedelic. It still works on the same receptors, but it's, um, it's, it's a heart medicine. I mean, philanthamines are what your body endogenously produce when you fall in love. And I would, I would compare it to that feeling. Like mm -hmm. it's very much like almost like that limerent feeling of like new romance when you're falling in love and like, you know, when you have a new partner and someone you're exploring and like getting to know, and you just kind of have that like really happy vibe about yourself, like it, food tastes better, like the sun shines brighter, music is better. You're just like, you're just in a vibe, you know, when you're falling in love and there's something new in your life when it comes to like romance. And so I would compare it similar to that. Like, it's just, I guess if I was to describe, I haven't been like, full-blown psychedelic deep with it because I don't have much of a desire to. I like the subtlety of it and that's how I work with it. And when I work with people with it, I teach them to have the conversation with the plant. Mm. So it's like if the psychedelic journey is, you know, going to the movie or the TED talk where you just sit in the audience and watch it unfold, which is very much like how grandmother is um, for most people. Mm-hmm the the conversation is like what we're doing here like we're having a conversation we're doing a podcast where like i share some information and then you share some information we go back and forth and we learn from one another and that that relationship is 100 percent possible with these plants and so in that space i would say what i've experienced on like a visual sensory level uh, if i was to describe the experience to you is there's a feeling of opulence like that's the word that came through like on probably the deepest journey i've ever been on i was just sitting looking at my rings and my my bracelets and like these different things and like looking at these crystals and just they were just shiny and like the texture and like like opulence you know the word opulence like it was just reflected in everything and everything kind of has this opulent sheen or shine or like ivory glow to it and it doesn't feel you don't feel altered like you don't feel you know most of these serotonin analogs like you feel altered you're like i'm <laughs> either like tripping and like hallucinating or i'm in touch with a different space that like you know exists that i normally can't access without these things but with the cactus it's uh it's like you're really here it's like that hyper real feeling that you talked about 
but in this realm. Like I really feel like that medicine and the tobacco are medicines of this realm. They don't take you other places. They don't peel back layers of like, for me, at least this has been my experience. They don't peel back like layers of reality and drop you into like out of the tonal and into the nagual. You're like, you're here and you're seeing everything more authentically yourself, objects, plants. So you taste like the pure essence of food. If you eat food when you're on it, you like water, you can really feel the essence of water and like the spirit. It really shows you like the opulent spirit of things wow. is how I, how I would describe it. That's profound. Yeah, I love that. And I, yeah, I, re I recall asking uh, Savage about that as well, but it has been a, you know, a while since I've heard that conversation. So, and I don't recall him mentioning a lot of what you just said. So it's cool to get, you know, your perspective on it. Um, and that does, that does sound like a very unique um, psychedelic experience, different than ones that I've had before. So yeah, I appreciate your sharing. It's also insight. a lot easier to integrate because it's not like, like grandma will just like, take you through loops and yeah. <laughs> places and you come back sometimes and you're just like, how do I, it's like coming back from a dream. You forget half of it. You don't understand half of it. Like pretty much any journey I've had on the cactus is very clear and very easy to integrate. And it's not as intense. It's way more mellow. So it's like, if you do the work, when you get back to integrate and piece it together, I've seen it with everyone I've worked with. Like my current partner, I just introduced her to it a couple weeks ago. And, um, I said, you know, you'll see when you come back, if you integrate well, like you'll notice your life just kind of smooths out. Like the things that would be just walls that you hit are not just like little speed bumps. Yeah. So oh. there's also some like level of magic there too, where it's just really, if you're in communion with it pre and post ceremony, it really helps you learn how to like live again, a more harmonious life. Like harmony is really the key, I think, to a lot of this stuff. I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, does it, is it very hard on the stomach? Is it, does it have a purge or not as much? So this is something I'm actually really excited to share because I see a lot of people making this mistake um, who are just, you know, buying powders offline or whatever, and they're not working. Even uh, some of like the traditional ways of preparation don't, I think, have the scientific understanding and the biologic understanding behind it. It's very rarely purgative. Um, it can be. But most of that comes from the core being cooked in the, the brew. That's why they say to discard the, the core. I've, I've heard, I haven't found any scientific literature on it. Again, I do a lot of like boots on the ground, like rooted work when it comes to this stuff. Um, so I do a lot of research. And because of my health journey, I'm very into like supplementation and peptides and hormones and all these different things. So I do a lot of research and I haven't found anything in the scientific literature that shows, but um, I was told that there's actually cyanide, I believe in the core mm -hmm. um, and some other like alkaloids and different things that'll cause stomach upset. So usually if you're brewing without the core in it, it's a lot more mellow. And then the main thing with the cactus that people don't know, and I actually found this out because Long story short of my health challenges was I had mercury toxicity from dental fillings in my teeth. Mm. Um, and so just last year, I found out that I had oxalate poisoning, which is another mineral type substance in the body. So it's what causes kidney stones. It's what kidney stones are made out of is calcium oxalate. Okay. There's a really good book called Toxic Superfoods by Sally K. Norton. 
where she talks about all these different foods like spinach and almonds and cacao. I mean, it's actually really important for people who consume cacao daily to understand this cacao is really high in oxalate. And if they continue mm. to have like a daily practice of drinking cacao every day, they will end up with kidney problems. Mm. Um, the cactus is extremely, extremely high in oxalate. So mm. you can't, that's why like if you're in the desert and you're dehydrated, you can't eat a cactus. Like you can't pick the spines off and eat the cactus to get water because the oxalate will actually shred your kidneys. Mm, damn. So a lot of people buy this powder and things online just wanting to trip and they eat the powder straight and they're just eating spoonfuls of oxalate. So it's really, really bad for the kidneys. Mm -hmm. It has to be cooked down and purified and condensed and then purified. So it's, I won't go into the process here, but um, yeah it's something to be aware of. And that's also part of what causes the purgative effect. So as long as the medicine is super clean and cooked yeah. in a good way, like it's very, very rarely purgative or the, there's very rarely any physical discomfort at all. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. I do want to get back to Malpatrio, but real quick on the idea of the fillings, uh, the teeth, I have a number of those as well. Okay. And that's very interesting to me, of course. Um, what is the process of getting them out and, and how did you see any results like immediately or was it weeks or what, what, what was yeah, that? I got, I got like? worse. <laughs> um, so to kind of go back to where it started, I didn't know why it was happening. Um, and then I would have all these symptoms and stuff. And a lot of it had to do with when I was eating hot foods or drinking hot liquids, like I would get twitches in my jaw. And that was actually the moment I was, I was eating hot bacon one day, turkey bacon, and my jaw started twitching. And I was like, why does this happen every time I eat this? Mm -hmm. And then I remembered there's a, there's a really cool guy. He's got an awesome story. His name's Josh Mason. He runs okay. a company called the Detox Dudes. And he had a video called Why I Hated God on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I had watched it. And he talked about mercury poisoning from dental fillings. And it had been years. And then in this moment, I was like, wait a minute don't I have like metal fillings in my mouth? And I went and looked in the mirror and I had 10 of them. Yeah, I probably have 10, dude, honestly. It was a trip because I never had any cavities as a kid, but my dentist told my parents that I had deep pockets in my teeth and I would eventually get cavities. So he preemptively basically filled every tooth I had. Jeez. Terrible. Yeah. Um, but so I, I looked into Josh, Josh Mason. I was like, this guy is describing exactly what happens in my body every day. Mm -hmm. Um, so I followed up on him. I started doing some more research and I found an amazing coach named Connie Fox. She's, I think she's in Florida now. I'm not sure where she's at, but she's in the U S. Um, and she's super affordable. I think she charges like 500 bucks for a consult mm -hmm. and she gives you everything you need for the full detox support. And when you get them out to answer your question, when you get them out, you have to go to a certified dentist who uses, like a dental dam. So there's like a rubber piece they put in so you don't swallow any of the mercury. Mm -hmm. And then you have to have oxygen in your nose and then they have a vacuum. There's a whole process of doing it correctly because when you don't do it correctly, you get super sick. Um, mm. One of my good friends who is a plant medicine facilitator actually had his taken out just normally. They just drilled him out. He was coughing up mercury for like two months, just Damn. black phlegm. And then he got Lyme's disease. And Lyme's disease is a co-infection usually of something else. And then he did, uh, or he had done um, a dieta and a vision quest and he thought he got bit by a tick. He didn't even realize it was related to the mercury. And he oh, actually wow. healed his limes and his mercury toxicity with combo. 
He's oh, got like wow. his shoulder caps are just dots. Like <laughs> it looks like a tattoo. It's crazy on both shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been a big part of my process. But it's mm-hmm. it's a really convoluted process. You have to get them taken out the right way. And then you have to fortify the systems in the body in the perfect order. Like you have mm-hmm. to heal the gut first, because if it's permeable, nothing else matters. Then you have to heal like the adrenals and the different systems in the body. And then you have to start working on um, parasites. So all the things that feed on the metals, once the systems can handle the detox process, then you can get rid of parasites. And then you end up where I'm at now. I still have the fourth part of it. I've got to start doing some heavy metal chelators and things that actually go in and pull the metals out of the intracellular space. And then you're good. Wow. But it's, it's a process. I've been doing it for... Since 2018 is when I started with Connie. So it's been mm-hmm. six years and I still haven't completed the process. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah, I might ask you for some resources on that because I definitely got a mouthful of freaking metal fillings, dude. And yeah, I, let's get those out. Yeah, dude. And I think, I don't know. I Of course, I was a kid and I don't know. And I did eat candy and drink soda as a kid. So maybe it was legit. But part of me feels like they were just trying to get some money out of my parents and they kept saying I needed them and maybe I didn't. And I don't know. It almost sounded like a similar thing. Well, and this is where you get into some of the deeper stuff that we talked about earlier when we started talking about secret societies and, you know, all these things that happen. It's like, if you go into it, it's deep, man. Like mercury is one of the most toxic substances on this planet. And, it's totally okay if you ha- like have it in your mouth, but it's not okay if like a thermometer breaks in an elementary school. They call in the hazmat team. It's right. you know, and the the things that the mercury impairs in the body, it, it impairs the thyroid mostly. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of the it has an affinity for the thyroid, and it also I believe impairs the pineal gland. Um, mm-hmm. I'm taking a peptide right now called Epitalin that like works on the pineal. It's a bioregulator, and it's. I've had a messed up circadian rhythm my whole life. And within six days of taking it, my circadian rhythm is back on track. Like for the first time ever, I'm going to bed at 10, waking up at six. Nice. And so I think, you know, the things that this substance affects in the body are things that the pharmaceutical industry makes a hell of a lot of money off of. Yeah. So I think there's a much deeper narrative happening there. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) That is wild. Well, there's this, I don't even know what I'm going to get out of bringing this up, but I don't know if if you experienced this while you had the metal in your mouth, but sometimes, and I've seen other people talk about it, but it's almost like you can catch radio frequencies. Like I've heard, it was hilarious. This one lady with a bunch of fillings in her mouth could hear like actual auditory radio Really? When she would like close her mouth and like two of the things would come together. If you get, if you Google Rady, lady receives radio, <laughs> you know, like she was actually hearing commercials and shit in her head because wow. the metal in her mouth was catching the frequency like an antenna. Um, I don't know that I, yeah, I don't, I don't hear radio, but I do sometimes <laughs> and maybe this is totally unrelated, but I'll get these like giant, like piercing, high pitch frequencies through like an ear or sometimes both ears. It'll just come out of nowhere. Yeah. It just comes out of nowhere. It's just, Mm and it's like, Whoa, what the hell? You know, it might be totally unrelated. Do you think so? (laughs) No, I don't think so at all. I think it's designed that way. Um, 
again, I just I try not to get too deep or conspiracy theory on these sure. things just because it's not everybody's flavor. But and it doesn't do us any <laughs> it doesn't do us any good, right? Like when it comes to conspiracy theory stuff, I'm not I'm not one to like wear the tinfoil hat and like protest in the streets. I just I want to understand <laughs> these things so I know what's happening so that I can then find the solution and live a better life. Right. But I think it's designed that way. I mean, it makes sense. We're electromagnetic beings, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you jam a bunch of metal right next to the brain Mm -hmm. you're going to cause some pretty serious dysregulation especially Mm -hmm. in this day and age when you have 5g and all these different things that are going to like affect our human organism on an electromagnetic level you know and if you can dysregulate the entire population like you can make a lot of money trying to feed them the things that regulate them again so i don't think that's out there at all i think that makes a lot of sense like what is a radio tower what is a radio receiver it's a big hunk of metal that receives waves so if you had a big hunk of metal right next to your ear right next to your brain of course you're going to pick up on things yeah wow that's interesting okay well yeah i guess that's a that's good for that topic but i did want to ask about mapacho i've had one podcast I want to say three years ago now, um, where we taught, where we touched on Mapacho quite a bit, but, um, just, you know, for people who probably didn't catch that one. And also just for myself who I actually have a jar of Mapacho I rarely use, mm-hmm. but I, I want to know more about it. Um, one of my friends that had, has been, uh, doing dieta with the Shapibo, um, brought me some as a gift. And is it true you don't need to inhale it or is it mostly a mouth? hundred percent. I'm sitting here smoking. I'm not inhaling at all. Okay. Um, I very rarely do. Usually mm-hmm. it's because I'm like not being conscious of what I'm doing and mm-hmm. inhaling, but it's, um, so just to dive into it a little bit to give people a background if they don't know. So Mapacho is tobacco, but it's, it's the tobacco plant Nicotina rustica. So mm-hmm. most commercial tobacco in the West is Nicotina tobaccum. So it's a totally different plant. It's still tobacco, but nicotina rustica is nine to 20 times higher in nicotine, I believe. Mm -hmm. So it's ceremonial tobacco. Um, And it's mapacho and specifically is prepared in a a certain way. So the leaves are harvested. They're soaked in in a tea of tobacco juice and a bunch of admixture plants. And then they're rolled into a giant log. Um, I actually don't have any right here I'd show you, but um, they're rolled into like a really tight log and then they're, they're bound with twine, like mm-hmm. to the point where it squeezes all the juice out and it just mashes the, the leaves together. And then they're cooked above a fire for one to two weeks and prayed with. So wow. we're not just talking about like shredding some tobacco leaves and, and smoking them. They're, it's a very specific preparation. Interesting. And then because it's so high in nicotine, just just smoking it, um, just just mouth smoking it like you would a cigar or a pipe. You you do get nicotine sublingually, <clears throat> yeah. but a lot of cultures don't even smoke it. They don't light it on fire. They just use it for offerings for prayers. Like this, the spirit of this plant is something that's way deeper than I can go into in a single podcast. But there's a really great book uh, by Jonathan Narby, I believe is. Mm-hmm. It's called Plant Teachers. And he goes really deep into Grandmother, and then he goes really deep into... It's the only book I found on Mapacho that has like how they prepare it, what the spirit is traditionally believed to be, the history of it. So if people want to dive in, I would I would pick up that book. Mm-hmm. Have you experimented with the other normal type of American tobacco? 
no, I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. Um, oh. I've never had any of like the American spirit or anything like that. I've only ever worked with Mapacho and it's, it. it's been about two years now that I've been using it regularly every day. And mm-hmm. I'd smoke more Mapacho than anyone I know. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's an interesting dance, you know, it's a plan of power and mm-hmm. it it's very, very addictive and it can be used for sorcery, you know, like there's, there's magic and then there's sorcery and magic is like the way I view it. Magic is benevolent. It, it adds to the collective. It's for the greater good, whatever mm-hmm. practice you're doing. Sorcery is for, for self-empowerment, for self-gain, for selfish things. Mm-hmm. Um, and tobacco can be used that way. Like that's, that's how it's used commercially. That's, you know, the people who commercialize tobacco know the spirit of tobacco. They know what they're doing by making it more addictive and then using it to create money and power from it. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting dance when you work with it. You have to be really intentional and you, like, I, I slip all the time. I'll be in the studio just jamming and it's like right there and I'm just hand to mouth for hours, you know, and it'll remind you. <laughs> it'll make you super sick and be like, hey, like, I'm here. Listen to me. Work with me in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I was just curious if, you know, what the difference in sensation would be from that normal one. But, uh, from what I understand, cause I have experimented with both. Um, it's just very grounding. It just re- re- very zaps you into the present, uh, kind of quiets the monkey mind a tad and yes. yeah, it just brings you into the now. Right. Yeah, nothing has been more transformative for me in all of my supplementation, all of the peptides, hormones, all the different things I've done with my body and healing. Nothing has been more profound for my mental state and like finding that fortified center than mm-hmm. than this medicine. Yeah. It's and there's a lot of research. Well, not a lot of research, but there's some research out there. You have to dig to find it, but there's mm-hmm. some research that uh, nicotine may be a form of a B vitamin. It's actually contained in um, nightshade plants. So it's in like tomatoes, potatoes, eggplant. People consume micro amounts of it probably on the daily. Um, And I I do a lot of research around like DNA methylation and stuff because it's a big part of our systems that helps us function. And if we can optimize our methylation, we can can optimize a lot of things in the body. And so um, that's actually why they renamed niacin to niacin, the B vitamin, vitamin B3, it was originally called nicotinic acid. And it, when they when they named nicotine, they changed it to niacin to differentiate. But the chemical structure is very similar to B vitamins. So I think yeah. that there's something to it. When it's in a form like this, and it's not mixed with poisons and addictive chemicals, right. I think there's something that it's doing in the body with the methylation cycle to actually help heal and balance the systems in the body that we haven't, we don't have the scientific literature to explain yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow that's crazy love it well yeah i appreciate you sharing your insight on that definitely gonna uh check out that book uh plant teachers i've definitely heard of the author jeremy narby i think not jonathan narby jeremy narby that's right yeah Yeah. i've heard of him i've heard him on a podcast and uh i think he had another book called the cosmic serpent if i'm not mistaken talking about the daniel pinchbeck book i don't know let me just he wrote, he wrote he wrote uh breaking open the head and then no he yeah wrote, the cosmic serpent jeremy narby oh okay cool okay. i've read that one yeah yeah i don't think i've read it either but i've i've been recommended it <clears throat> well damn 
we hit on a bunch, man. But um, as far as like the future, um, what you're up to, what you're working on, uh, what what's the light language got coming up? So right now, um, I've been touring for almost the last year. So I'm just taking some time off to like ground in mm-hmm. and uh, get back in the studio. I've got a ton of projects. Like I I sent you that list of all the tracks that right. I organize. I mean, I've got probably 17 albums worth of music, and that's not <laughs> exaggerating at all. But that. currently, like February, March, I'm going to be working on remixes and collaborations. So mm-hmm. I have I'm doing a remix of your track, which is going to come out soon, hopefully. Let's go. And then I'm doing a, a collaboration with Ama Sophia. She's a healer that lives on Big Island. Really wonderful woman. Mm-hmm. Doing a remix for Noalani Love. She's another Ohana from from the, from uh, Kauai, actually. Mm-hmm. Amazing artist. And then I'm working on collaborations with Geometre, uh, remixing Shaman's Dream, uh, doing a collaboration with Blue Murian, remixing his track with Ruby Rose. And I have a remix with Savage, uh, that should be out soon too. So I'm just working on remixes and collabs, like really just weaving with everybody that's got similar vibes and Mm kind of has the similar perspective. So, and then um, actually tomorrow I'm meeting with my manager. What we're doing for the live events is a lot of people that haven't seen me play live don't really know from social media or whatever, but like my live sets aren't just like a DJ playing music. I, I bring all of this stuff. I've got the chacapa, the didge, the drum, um, all of the herbs that I burn. So I've got like two cauldrons of herbs just going the whole time, burning copal and frankincense. And basically everything that I would bring to a plant ceremony, a plant medicine ceremony, I'm bringing to the stage. And then we've got the central altar um, with the flame that people are dancing around that. And then we do an opening invocation. We do a sound journey. So it's like a three hour journey. Um, and what I've been doing is plugging into like ecstatic dance venues and different places. And it's been, it's been tricky because like, you know, as an artist, I need to be able to film and like document what I'm doing and then share it on social media and in these different pitch decks and things. And I can't do that in the ecstatic dance container. So that's been really challenging. Mm. And then a lot of the venues I'll play, like it's in my writer that I burn all these things and I do all these things, but they don't read the writer. And then I get there like, you can't burn that. You can't do this. You can't do that. <laughs> and so it's been really amazing. And I'm super blessed to have had those opportunities. And like I did a West Coast tour last spring, 14 cities across the west coast i'm super grateful for all those promoters and those venues but as an artist like i'm wanting to be able to more fully express myself and hold ceremony like i'm not just trying to play music i'm trying to hold a ceremony and so meeting with my manager tomorrow and we're putting together an offer that you know has its own title it's like light language presents and then it's a whole container we're building that out as a pitch deck and sending that out to these different markets and we're going to start touring you know as the container with all of the different things and so people are going to get to experience that and what i want to do is create hubs in different cities so like whether it's austin or boulder or salt lake or san diego like have these hubs where i'm popping in and out you know quarterly people know that there's going to be a light language show every quarter every six months and they can look forward to it and it's going to be like its own little mini ceremony so i'm really excited to build that out and start start touring that dang that's beautiful man best of luck and i hope to catch one of these uh, i'm sure it won't be long before we meet in person but uh yeah, i gotta get out there yeah i'm super looking forward to it man 
Well, thank you so much, brother, for coming on. Um, where can people find you, your website, your handle, and uh, any links you have to share? Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Um, everybody can find everything at lightlanguage.codes. So it's not .com, it's .codes. And there are all the social media links, everything there. I'm not I'm not big on social media. I don't do too much on like SoundCloud or Bandcamp. It's all there, but everything is pretty much like on streaming or Instagram is my main like social outlet for right now, but it's all lightlanguage.codes. They can also email me there. Um, there's an email sign-up list. That's what I recommend. I send up a, I send out a newsletter like once a month, usually, mm-hmm. um, every couple of months, just to update people on what's going on. So if they want to stay connected, the email newsletter is the best. Wonderful. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you once again, Burks, for being here today. Sure, and we'll see you. you on the next episode. Aloha. Aloha. Aloha.